0: Back to Embargo, the podcast featuring intelligent talk about sanctions, export controls, and all things international trade for trade nerds and normal human beings alike. I am your host, Brian Fleming. I'm here with my friend, colleague, and co-host, as always, Mr. Tim O'Toole. What's up, Tim?
1: Happy summer, Brian.
0: Happy summer, summer. yes. And, And so, obviously, for our loyal listeners out there, we've taken a brief hiatus, somewhat unplanned, just because schedules and August vacation did not quite align uh, very well for us uh, over these past few weeks, and we figured, well, it's August, there's nothing's going to happen while we're while we're taking a little break, so it'll be fine. Um, yeah, that that's uh, that would be true if this were opposite day. Um, so obviously, a ton has happened since we recorded our last pod. We're recording this on August 27th. I think it's been almost exactly a month since the last one we recorded um we're going to go back to the every other week schedule now going forward so this will be up i think september 1st um a ton has happened in august obviously that we have to get to today but um before before that any any reflections on your time away tim your time off your your vacation escapades in the My, age of covid how how that all went
1: you know it was good to get up north um but not as far north as i had planned yeah. uh, the the pesky canadians are still keeping people out and so
0: the pesky canadians are good friends don't don't come after us we're still this is still a very canada friendly podcast but no absolutely
1: um, and and the thing is is that you know they, they actually have a strategy for dealing with the virus and it seems to be working and it doesn't involve letting americans come in for any reason whatsoever <laughs> that seems, which that seems sound that seems sound quite frankly sound it, policy it works for them it just doesn't work for us and so we become the pariahs yeah um
0: yeah, well, my summer vacation was very COVID, lots of time in the car with family and not being too far from home. Uh, so similar similar experience, Vaca- summer vacation in the age of COVID is yeah. uh, definitely something different. But, um, but we're very happy to be back. Thanks for everybody uh, for joining us again um, for the, our latest episode. Um, so the normal uh, sort of reminders here, we're not giving legal advice. We're not discussing any confidential information. Um, and, uh, all of, uh, and if you are a fan of the pod, please subscribe. Uh, we will, as I said, be back to the every two weeks, uh, schedule that we've adhered to thus far. Um, please subscribe, give a rating. You can find us wherever you get your pods, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Um, and, um, yeah, so we're, we're back and ready to go. Um, this is actually lucky, lucky number thirteen, episode number thirteen. And so, um, for before we get started, I'll give a little roadmap as usual in case there's any segments you wanna you wanna fast forward to. Um, and with lucky number thirteen, as we have in the in the past few episodes, this we're leaning in all the way on on making this a full China episode because I don't think we really have any other choice in the matter. At this point, we are we are um, talking about may, having a China-free episode, perhaps for episode fourteen, um, just because we feel like we we want to give ourselves a break from talking about China. Right, but and
1: we've, we're ignoring the rest of the world. There's
0: like. a lot of other stuff going on that we're basically ignoring, in part because this is this is the this is of the utmost uh, sort of relevance and significance to every. Judging by the phone calls and the emails that we get from clients and reporters and other people this is this is what everybody is worried about and talking about so that's what we're gonna we want to give the people what they want so that's the place where it happens exactly exactly the pod where it happens so uh roadmap is as follows we're going to start not surprisingly with tiktok and wechat and then we're going to move on to huawei and the recent final rule issued by bis last week uh and then our final kind of full segment will be the first Round of the Hong Kong sanctions uh, under the new executive order that we discussed on the last episode, and then the lightning round. We're going to hit some more China-related actions. We're going to talk about just yesterday the the addition of a number of Chinese companies to the entity list based on activities in the South China Sea, which is uh, sort of a new frontier that we haven't talked about and hasn't been more China. Yeah, more 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 ways to um, uh, antagonize China. Um, Number two will be uh, some. Uh, designations that were made by OFAC at the end of July, uh, focused on uh, Xinjiang and um, the situation there, which plays on what we've been talking about in that region. Um, And that's had a pretty big impact on a number of companies. So we'll spend a few minutes on that. And then the last thing we'll talk about is another very recent, very fresh um, action, which is the advance notice of proposed rulemaking that was um, just put out, or at least the pre-publication version was just put out yesterday by the commerce department relating to, uh, controls that will be forthcoming under ECRA for foundational technologies, uh, two plus years after that law was passed, we're, we will finally get a, an advance notice on that. So that'll be the last thing we touch on and we'll touch on it briefly. Cause I'm sure we'll come back to that down the road. Um, so that's what we're going to hit today. Uh, anything before we get started, Tim?
1: No, I think we've got a full agenda for today.
0: We have a full plate. So without further um, delay, let's get to topic number one, which is Tic Tac and WeChat, which I think has been the dominant story the past month uh, sort of in this space. Um, and so l- just to, to rewind a bit and to give everybody a bit of context, I think I'm assuming most people listening to this podcast probably have more or less the the background on what's been going on here. But just to recap briefly, um The the sort of key event here was August 6th, which was the issuance on the evening of August 6th, the two executive orders that were purported to ban TikTok and WeChat in the United States. Now, we'll get into what those executive orders actually say and what they actually do or what we think they will do when they're fully fleshed out by some subsequent regulations that are potentially coming in late September. Um, If there's not further delays there, but to back up before that, um, this really all starts um, in late 2019 uh, or or really early 2019. There's the, there's the executive order that's passed that's issued in, in May of that year relating to um, supply chain, telecom information systems. And, and that is purported to be sort of the basis for the, uh, the the, issue, the national emergency that is the, that is uh fa- foundational for the 2 executive orders on August 6th so that's in May of last year last uh later in the year there's um noise and confirmed uh, reporting that TikTok is being um and their owner ByteDance is being looked at by CFIUS in connection with the acquisition in 2017 of um, musically which was um a Chinese actual actually app and company that ended up being merged with TikTok and that Cifius had taken interest in that, in part due to the data privacy, data security issues that are now front and center for Cifius. So we fast forward, um, and we know some of this now also because there was a lawsuit that was just filed earlier this week by ByteDance and TikTok that's challenging the August 6th executive order. Um, so some of this chronology is spelled out in, in there, and it's been reported on sort of periodically throughout this time period. We get to earlier this year, and Cifius basically tells... ByteDance, we want to we formally review your transaction with Musical.ly that that impacts TikTok. There's a submission apparently made to CFIUS at the beginning of the summer. At the very end of the review period in late July, um, despite the fact that by ByteDance's own account, they had put on the table divestiture plans, restructuring plans, and other things for CFIUS to consider, um, there was a recommendation apparently made to the president that this, that, that transaction be prohibited. Um, there was also at the same time, lots of discussion and apparently uh, uh, some type of MOU that was signed with Microsoft relating to the divestiture of TikTok and the assets of ByteDance that relate to TikTok. Um, despite all of that, and despite the fact that got a lot of press coverage, the president made some very odd even by sort of our current standards, claims and statements about the fact that Treasury would have to be paid a fee for this transaction or divestiture to go forward, that they need a cut, which is just really, that is unprecedented, I will say. Um, Sipius generally,
1: Sipius is not generally getting a cut of these transactions.
0: They don't don't get a cut. There's filing fees, but they don't get a cut. Um, So that was all happening at the same time. Microsoft. Maybe Maybe a commission. And yeah, that's commission? that's what it that's certainly what it sounded like at the time, um, and then uh, so despite all of that happening, the executive orders come out on August sixth, and then it, sort of that launches a very chaotic kind of period of people being like, well, what is going on here? Because Cepheus is obviously on top of this. We thought there was maybe a divestiture coming. Why are these executive orders being issued? With respect to TikTok, not only TikTok and ByteDance, but also Tencent and WeChat, which had not sort of previously been sort of bundled with this.
1: They weren't on anybody's radar. They weren't really on the radar. WeChat. And then
0: all all of a sudden they're in the middle of this. And in some ways that may end up being the bigger deal long term. And we'll get to that in a moment. And then a week later, on August 14th, there's another order that's issued by the president pursuant to his Sifius powers, which says, I am prohibiting these transactions. I'm prohibiting the ByteDance musically transaction. I'm ordering divestiture and under certain conditions, I'm ordering them to destroy data relating to U.S. users um, that are in their possession or that could be derived from U.S. users. There's sort of there's some specific language there. Uh, and I'm ordering that to happen within 90 days. And CFIUS gets the ultimate say as to um, the outcome of any divestiture. They get a veto rights, essentially, um, to sort of say yay or nay to who, however this is happening. And right now, there's all kinds of reporting on, you know, Microsoft is still in the mix as a potential buyer. Oracle is in the mix as a potential buyer. There are other kind of packages of existing investors and other investors that might be in the mix. It is, I think, presumed at this point that it's going to be a U.S.-led effort and maybe whether it's one U.S. company or multiple U.S. companies that are involved in this. But that is going on. The fact that that subsequent order was issued has also now called into question, well, what about this August 6th order? that was purporting to ban TikTok, which would go into effect, and we're waiting on you know, uh, regulations that may be coming out in September on that, September 20 is the date. And the fact that that executive order didn't define at all what transactions would even be covered, it's completely left up to the discretion of the Secretary of Commerce to define that, and that has left everybody sort of guessing at sort of and, and assuming that that could be very broad um, in a worst case scenario. And then again, sort of to bring us fully up to speed and then turn it over to Tim, just this week, ByteDance and TikTok filed a lawsuit challenging the August 6th executive order seeking declaratory and injunctive relief in federal court in, uh, in LA. Um, and that's on multiple grounds, uh, challenging the nature of uh, whether or not the president had authority to act under IEPA, whether he went, he exceeded his IEPA powers, whether he exceeded other sort of... Um, executive or statutory bases that he may have to pursue these actions, constitutional claims, uh, you know, unconstitutional takings, First Amendment violations. There's sort of, there's a number of bases that are asserted in that lawsuit. Um, And so, wow, this is a mess. It is a huge mess and it is causing a lot of uh, hand-wringing and concern all over the place. And like I said, WeChat may be the bigger issue here because WeChat, as we know from spending, if anybody has spent time in China, WeChat is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. It is WeChat and WePay is everywhere. And there is now fear that based on how broadly this is written, that it's going to have impact in China. And so let me just stop there for the moment. Let's deal with TikTok and ByteDance first. All right. What do we make of all this? Where do we even start? What do we? What should people be looking for? What do we expect coming next? This is just again, this is such a mess. Like, wh- where where do we go from here?
1: It's just so weird. I mean, that's that's the thing that I keep coming back to with this. But the the thing about it that I think is going to be puzzling to the trade nerds and and, um, probably. Less puzzling to everyone else. I think. I think people who look at this from the outside, without a background in trade, think that this is crazy and can't figure out. Clearly
0: illegal, perhaps. Clearly illegal. That's what a lot of people
1: think. No precedent for it whatsoever. Um, I've never seen anything like it, and I don't think most people have. I mean, just if we could spend the entire pod talking about the fact that the the president suggested he was that the that the U.S. government was going to get a commission from forcing the sale from a foreign company to a U.S. company. I mean, it's all just insane. That said, it you've got this veneer, and and I think part of it is real. I mean, I think part of it is pretext, but part of it is real, of of the the sorts of percolating legitimate or at least long-standing concerns of the U.S. government with with Chinese um, infiltration into the U.S. data privacy system for sure. And so you've got the question that's going to kind of come to the fore is, based on all the public statements, I think most people know that something really weird and likely illegal and certainly unprecedented is going on here. On the other hand, there there is an attempt, particularly with on the CFIA side, to wrap this up in a way that looks legal enough, given courts courts considerable deference on national security issues to the agencies that you could see a scenario in which this this sort of action gets by the courts, um, particularly with respect to Scythias. I, I do think that the the August 6th, Theo, just to me, even though, uh, even though I think on the outside it doesn't look as weird because it's essentially an order that just bans a foreign company that the US government thinks is doing something wrong. Um, When you look at it closely, this this executive order that allows the Secretary of Commerce to go in and identify particular transactions that are going to be prohibited, and then nothing happens on this until September 20th, that one is pretty weird from a trade nerd side, although I think on the outside, you know, that, that it looks more like what the government would traditionally do with something that it thought was a national security threat. This whole, like, forced sale with a cut and to a US company is really weird from a CFIUS procedural perspective. And I think it looks even weirder to the outside. But on the other hand, CFIUS has actually done similar things to Chinese companies that it thinks are infringing on US data privacy issues. And so in some sense, the CFIUS action is less weird, although the way that it all came about just is kind of mind boggling.
0: Yeah. I think that, I think a couple of key things to keep in mind as a, as a substantive matter, national security is not something that gets second guessed by the courts. Right. Right. So the executive generally has full discretion. To make judgments about what is and is not in the national security interests of the United States, so that's one thing. The, the the interesting thing here is just that the the sort of process, such as it is or such as it was, is so weird and has been so atypical that I think that is where. And if if anybody has had a chance to read the complaint from the lawsuit that was filed by TikTok and ByteDance, that is a lot of what they're getting at. Is like, right. what it what are like this is just. Um, a blatant disregard for any kind of process. This is just, and and again, the substantive judgments that end up getting made through the Cifius process, they can make whatever complaints they want about this isn't a real problem, this isn't a real risk, this isn't a real threat. I, I got news for everybody: if the if CIFIUS and the president decide it is, there's very little a court's going to do to upend, to even look at that. Not even, not even. Do, change it but even like review that so so process it's all it's all got to be process based in my view to to think that there's any real change coming to where this is all heading I think at the end of the day it is pretty clear at this point there's going to be a divestiture that's going to happen they're going to have to sell what that actually looks like who the ultimate sort of owners buyers are what the terms are how that all works out that's very much a question mark I think that is clear whether, what, end, what ends up coming of the August 6th executive order, assuming a divestiture is going to happen is for, for ByteDance and TikTok, again, putting WeChat and Tencent aside for the moment, is I think a is also a very good question. And I think that's part of the reason that the lawsuit was cited, which is if the divestiture happens and if it happens on terms that the government is ultimately happy with, then you would think, one would think, based on everything that has been said, that, there, that the issue is essentially resolved or mooted as, as it is being presented in that August 6th executive order. And, and But in fact, that order is quite a bit broader because it's banning, it's prohibiting transactions by persons subject to U.S. jurisdiction with ByteDance and its subsidiaries. It is, not, it is not targeted just at WeChat. It is ByteDance. And ByteDance is a massive company. It has other apps that operate and are available in the U.S. And... And also, persons subject to US jurisdiction, as we know from the sanctions context, is, which by the way is undefined in the executive order. They define what a US person is, right. but they use both terms. So, how that's going to play out.
1: Well, that, I mean, it's, I don't know. it's way broader because it's way broader. It's, I mean, that's the term from the Cuba regs exactly. and the, the Cuba regs are much broader than just U.S. persons. I mean, they're companies owned or controlled by U.S. persons. And so it goes to to essentially all foreign subsidiaries of U.S. companies are going to be governed by this. So it's a it's a very broad order. I, I, I will say that to put this in a little bit of a legal context, um, there have been a number of areas where the president in the last few years has made a bunch of public statements that suggest that an action taken by an agency is really a pretext. And and the lower courts have been pretty uh, aggressive, I think, or you know, a, a, at least pretty pretty willing to consider those statements as part of the overall context in terms of what's really going on. And the, the, re- and the
0: record, yeah, as part right. of the record. That's as a great, part of the point. Record. great and point. And the Supreme,
1: yeah. the Supreme Court has been less willing to do that. And so so I do think that this this may wind up being another case that, that winds, if if it lasts that long, it winds up at the Supreme Court, where on the one hand, you've got the president making a record showing that this, what's going on here has nothing to do with national security whatsoever. It is just a, it appears to be a political ploy where essentially the president has decided that he wants some credit for having a US company taking over a Chinese company and then the uh, and 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 having China pay for ha- having done it through providing a commission, which just looks insane. But on the other hand, when you read the orders, apart from the fact that the Commerce Department is not is supposed to identify these transactions that are going to be prohibited in advance, which is a little bit unusual, and and but when, but the CFIUS order doesn't look that different from what CFIUS has been doing with respect to Chinese companies in the last few years. And so on the one hand, you've got kind of maybe a little bit out there administrative action but certainly with a lot of close it's it's a little beyond what's gone on but not that much and then some statements from the president that are just like try that 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 if you believe them um, make the action kind of wildly illegal and what are the courts going to do with that well they've been they've been reluctant to take the president's word when he's making public statements
0: right so so i think so just to maybe make a couple of final comments on TikTok before we move to WeChat. Um, so just thinking about the timing here, because this is something, and obviously we'll be coming back back to this in future episodes. Um, the 45-day deadline for the Secretary of Commerce to issue regulations defining the transactions that would be covered on the executive order would be September 20. The 90-day deadline for, this, for the CFIUS divestiture order, which could be extended out to 120, Um, the 90 days, November 12th. So there's going to be a a Delta there. It may be that the executive order just gets kind of ignored during that time period. It may be that they formally extend the deadline to to sort of sync it up with the CFIUS timeline, or it could be that they issue something that will essentially be mooted immediately upon the the completion of a divestiture. I, I, we don't know, obviously, but I, I think at the end of the day, there's a high likelihood that the executive order with respect to ByteDance dance that was issued on August 6th will more or less become kind of overcome by events in the next couple months. I and mean, that's, that's my guess. Now that could be wildly off base. They could do something crazy in on September 20th, but that is my guess. And that once the sale is done and, and that's secured, then the executive order will either be left to die on the vine or will kind of largely become irrelevant.
1: Well, you know, now that we've kicked it around a little bit, I I do have a theory as to how the two are related. I mean, I do think that the August 6th order, particularly with respect to TikTok, is the sort of Damocles hanging over their head, which is basically, you know, we don't, we're not going to do this for 45 days, but in the meantime, we're telling you, you better divest. And if you don't divest, here's what's coming. And so essentially it is, it is a tactic, it appears to be a related tactic to get, uh TikTok and ByteDance Dance to the table, knowing that it that, that that worse things could be happening if they don't essentially defest themselves quickly.
0: I think that's exactly right. And to the extent that there's you know was a thought about how these things are coordinating or in, there's interplay here, I think that's exactly what this is. It's kind of the belt and suspenders of the of of how we ensure a result that we want if we as the US government. So I think that's right. Well, you know, look, there's a lot of, obviously a lot of, there's other lawsuits that have already been filed too by TikTok employees. And there was a lawsuit filed also by, um, I think WeChat users just a few days ago as well. And so there's a lot of things percolating in the courts. I don't know that there's gonna be much action on any of those in the short term, The even the, the ByteDance TikTok lawsuit sort of acknowledge that once the regulations are issued, they'll amend their complaint to seek a, you know, a preliminary injunction. So, you know, again, the government may just not do that. They they may not give them that, am, that fodder, that ammunition. Um, they may just sit on that and wait and see. And knowing that if something goes sideways in the divestiture process, that they'll, to Tim's point, that's the kind of the hammer that they come in with. So so we'll have to wait and see on that. But, but let's pivot for a minute to, to WeChat and Tencent. Because, again, so again, this one is kind of out of left field and seems to have been not an afterthought, but was clearly kind of a um a follow-on action or that was coming on the heels of TikTok and I think only happened at this point because of TikTok. And if you read the preamble to the WeChat executive order, it's it says that sort of, you know, you know, in, in light of what we're doing with respect to ByteDance and TikTok, we also are doing taking these actions. And it's so it's kind of a copycat action. Now the issue here, of course, is that WeChat is by far the most popular and perhaps important app in the Chinese kind of telecom space, period, full stop, like for anybody who is unaware of that. And I assume most people who listen here know that. Um, And so it, it, it literally is used for everything. And when Tim and I travel to China, when I get off the plane, I usually download WeChat on my phone because that's the way I can get in touch with people when I'm in China and I don't keep it on my phone when I'm in the United States for perhaps some of the reasons that are cited in the, in the executive order, but um, that's, that's just what people do. That's how people communicate. So that has, and not only is it used for personal communications, which is one aspect of this that is, you know, potentially troubling or or complicated from a legal perspective, but it is, it is integral to business everywhere. It we pay is integral to how business is done in China and all of it is paperless and, and done in that manner through WePay or or other similar services. And there are plenty of U.S. companies that have um, relationships, whether through JVs or other connections and relationships in China that have to rely on that. So under the terms of the the WeChat Tencent executive order, which is basically the same, it mirrors the the language of the TikTok order mostly, that it it will prohibit transactions by persons subject to U.S. Jurisdiction related to WeChat with Tencent and its subsidiaries. That's that's the sort of the formulation. So under that formulation, that could be incredibly broad. That could be that could that could take down potentially take down or threaten to take down the app uh, in China as well. Um, you know, beyond U.S. borders. And and there was some reporting earlier this week, just from a couple of days ago, that um, and I believe I want to give the right credit here. I think it was Bloomberg. That that reported this that the White House apparently has reassured companies that whatever transactions are defined under this executive order are not going to be so broad as to as to as to hit on these transactions in China that are that everybody is fearful would be in play. And as a result, Tencent stock went through the roof on that on that news because it's now assumed that this isn't this is meant to be kind of narrowly tailored and only. Designed to to target U.S. and U.S. communications that are purported to be the central concern here. So, um, so what do we make of that, and and what do we think is coming next on the on the WeChat 10 cent front? Because this could, again, at the end of the day, be a bigger problem, a bigger issue, and it's not going away by virtue of a divestiture. There's that's not happening. That is not even in that's not in play here.
1: Well, I mean, I, I guess that's really the question. It certainly isn't on its face going away as, as a result of a divestiture. But given the timing, I mean, I, I guess one possibility, and given what a hammer WeChat is with respect to China, one possibility is that this was this was made to make sure that the hammer wasn't just TikTok, it's WeChat too. And if you don't divest, um, there's regs that are coming and they could back off. But assuming that they don't, assuming that this is real, um, boy, if they went, broadly on this it would just be it would it would just be um a huge huge issue for u.s companies with respect to to china because the fact is is that this is you know the chinese equivalent of kind of facebook and twitter combined and and maybe paypal as well and so so you've got um if you if if essentially the 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 focus of these transactions is, uh, you know, international and certainly if it a- applies to China, um, this executive order could be the biggest sanction ever issued in United States history, I think. So, so that's how big it could be. Um, I, again, it, it sounds like the white house is reassuring people that that's not going to happen and, um, that it might be more limited. And, and if, if they do wind up issuing regulations on this, um, my guess is that it will be but we'll see i mean i, I mean
0: so- as with that sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but i was going to no. say as with everything else the the commerce department may may have marching orders at the moment to to narrowly tailor the regulations and on september 19th the president might say forget that i want to hey. i want to crush these guys like totally. make, them, make them as broad as you possibly can i don't want any restrictions let's let's i don't care i want to totally. inflict maximum pain and any? and then that's so, so, who and it knows? could be
1: that it could be that that deadline comes and goes, and three years from now we're still waiting for the regs. I mean, like the right. Commerce Department is not always timely with these things, as we'll talk about at the very end.
0: Right. Exactly. So, but I think that one in particular is one that is definitely giving people a lot of heartburn in both here domestically and in China, uh, because you know this the sweep of how broadly those transactions are going to be defined. Uh, and who's going to be kind of caught by that is, is just going to be massively consequential, assuming that they are going to go into effect come, you know, late September or sometime soon thereafter. So, so I think with that, let's, let's just stop there. We could, we could spend two hours talking about just TikTok and WeChat, but, um, and we will most certainly be coming back to this, uh, on a future episode. So with that, let's, let's go back to our, our oldest and dearest favorite. Yeah. Our friend Huawei as um, last week BIS introduced a new final rule relating to the um, several aspects of the Huawei entity listing and so I'll turn to Tim to, to, to introduce that.
1: In this week's Huawei update, we're <laughs> going to talk about the changes that uh, that the Commerce Department made with respect to Huawei's entity listing and, and really it's a recurring theme, we've talked about it before, Huawei was put on the entity list back in May of 2019. Um, and there was a temporary general license that was issued at the time that was basically allowed designed to allow um, you know US companies to wean themselves from Huawei products i mean that's how it was described so there were there were things that were required for the ongoing um, use of those product, products there were there were things in the the temporary general license that allowed for um US exports for cybersecurity reasons to make sure that those products weren't easily hacked. But, but the, but, but it was, at least according to commerce, it was always anticipated that that temporary general license would eventually go away um, at some point so that Huawei would really feel the full effect of being placed on the entity list. Um, In the meantime, the the temporary general license was out there, but there were also ways that Huawei was still uh, seemingly acquiring U S technology by, by essentially getting foreign products made that would, would, Fulfill its supply chain needs that were the the direct product of U.S. technology, or at least um, somewhere in the supply chain, there was U.S. technology that was involved, and this was protect, particularly with respect to semiconductor chips. And so, back in May of this year, the Commerce Department um, issued a change to the entity listing for Huawei that was relatively complicated. We talked about it on one of the earlier podcasts, but it it, it gave a list of criteria for these semiconductor chips if they were foreign form produce but the direct product of US technology and they'd been ordered by Huawei basically they were produced pursuant to plans of of Huawei um, that those those items now would be restricted for export to to Huawei because of its its entity listing as well. So so I gave all that background because what the new um, changes did uh, the recent changes did uh, a couple I think it was been about ten days ten days ago now when the were put into place by the Commerce Department they did three things first they they took a look at that um, foreign direct product rule. Uh, change that was that took place in in May with respect to semiconductor chips and I think we talked about on the podcast how there were some holes there because essentially Huawei could be part of the the, somewhere in the supply chain or it could, could, could get a hold of these chips as long as they weren't getting the orders to design the chips. So essentially off the shelf stuff um, was available to them.
0: Or they could potentially be going to a third party, not directly to them or one of their affiliates. And that seemed to be a loophole. in the. Totally. It, was, it had a
1: big loophole. So this, the, the first thing this did was try to close that loophole by basically saying, with respect to these foreign produced chips, um, if Huawei is anywhere in the mix is a party to the transaction in any way, and they gave a list of things that Huawei could be, but essentially a party to the transaction in any way, then it can't get these chips and it can't use use these chips as part of its production process. So that's really the, the way that they close the loophole there. With a temporary general license, they, allowed it to expire except for one provision related to cybersecurity that they, they made permanent. So there's no more general license. They basically just said with respect to certain cybersecurity fixes, um, Huawei can, you you can still supply these sorts of things to Huawei, but otherwise, um, we're not going to allow for replacement of, of other items. Um, and they added 38 Huawei affiliates to the entity list the commerce department, added them to the entity list. The thinking there, I think was that those, the, those uh, related companies to Huawei were helping Huawei uh, obtain U.S. technology and so they wanted to make it harder for those companies to obtain U.S. technology that it could then put into the Huawei supply chain. So this is just another um, tightening. I guess the one other thing that's kind of interesting is that with respect to this foreign direct product rule, they did change the licensing policy with respect to lower level items. So essentially if it's not 5G, um and Huawei wants to you know or a company wants to sell these products to Huawei and they're foreign direct produced there is a case by case licensing review policy and so so you can you, you might Huawei still might be able to get some of the items that it was previously getting but but um it's a little harder cuz you have to get a license and it's only lower level stuff so it's not going to be the the newer 5G items
0: yeah i mean so and for anybody who's interested in the earlier discussion, when the, fir- the first uh, rule came out earlier this year, the interim final, it was episode eight. Um, th- this is, I mean, this ends up, this is quite a, this is quite a technical rule. Yeah. Um, there have been a number of changes. I think I would add a couple of other, Tim covered most of them. I would add a couple of other things that are kind of relevant here. So I think the, the fact that Huawei doesn't—it doesn't have to be Huawei-designed any longer, which many are identifying as well. Now this covers commercial off-the-shelf products essentially because it doesn't have to be Huawei-designed or customized. Um, that is a big deal obviously because that just sort of broadens the scope of this quite a, quite a bit um you know this is still obviously largely focused on semiconductors as that is the sort of stated purpose in the commerce department press release that's that's what's the still the focus is the semiconductors that are potentially going to huawei or into huawei products uh or into products uh you know so again where huawei is somehow part of the transaction um you know, there's, there's now some new language that talks about, uh, and and one other thing to talk about that we didn't focus on here, which was always, which was a part of the earlier rule and which is now I think still very important here is the, is the knowledge requirement. There is a knowledge requirement that it has to be known that again, if you have, if you have a chip that's being made foreign made with the sort of specified us software technology under the relevant ECCNs of category three, four, or five, uh, and you know, you have knowledge that it will be integrated into, and then there's a number of right. sort of provisions thereafter that will end up, you know, being sold to Huawei, Huawei as a customer, Huawei part of the transaction, that would, that essentially requires a license now. So that is kind of a, as an overarching matter, that is kind of the the big the, the big kind of change here is that again, the sort of connections to Huawei are broadened and um, you know, I think the uh, they've tried to clean up and broaden and clarify sort of the scope of the where in the supply chain, this could end up or, or sort of start or end up that touches Huawei and how that could now require a license. So um again i think there's there are some ambiguities that are still inherent here but it's pretty clear that there uh, and i we are in touch with the commerce department as are many other of our friends throughout the trade nerd community trying to clarify some of these things on behalf of clients but um you know i think the the overarching uh, message is that you know the having if you're selling to Huawei and if you have anything that is part of your supply chain, uh, especially, you know, the chip, the the chip component, the semiconductor component that is made potentially on this U S technology or software. That's something you need to be aware of and need to potentially be analyzing to determine whether or not you're now required to get a license before you can actually sell it to Huawei. So, uh, or, or to have Huawei as part of any of these transactions. And again, this of course uh, applies to exports, re-exports and transfers. So it's not just sort of um, you know, uh country to country it could be intra-country or it could be again because of the re-export rules uh and the transfer rules could be within as part of a supply chain with multiple parties involved um the the rules and the preamble are pretty clear about that so um i think as somebody uh, you know we've talked about and i think the sort of big takeaway here seems to be that the commerce department and the government generally is pretty dogged in trying to close Every loophole, as soon as it becomes apparent, it, it it is trying to close it with respect to Huawei. Yep. And so the entity listing from May 19 didn't really have the desired effect. So then they contemplated for many months, what would they do? And then we had the May 2020 rule. We commented and many others commented that that seemed very narrow. And would that really accomplish what they wanted to accomplish? And we were sure that they would have no scruples about going back and changing that. And lo and behold, here we are in August and they've changed it. They've broadened it. Uh, to try to close whatever perceived loophole there was there. I'm certain that if there are additional identified loopholes that are known to the commerce department, that that will also, um, we will see more action here uh, later this year or early next. So this is always going to be under the current era in the current administration. I think this is always going to be a continuing evolving target uh, that is just the, the, the Commerce Department and the government generally is determined to try to prevent Huawei from, you know, ascending, especially to the top of the pyramid with respect to 5G infrastructure globally on the back of U.S. technology. That is just sort of the simplest way to put it. And that is what all of these actions are meant to try to prevent. And there's, I'm certain going to be more coming on this. I, I very much doubt this is the last we've heard on on these rules and how they may get tightened or changed or expanded.
1: Yeah. I mean, Huawei has a huge desire for chips and is willing to pay money for them. And so there are companies out there who want to sell Huawei chips and they are trying to figure out whether they can do it lawfully. And if there are ways through this that are lawful, they will find them. And then we'll probably be right back with the Commerce Department saying, well, we're trying to stop them from getting chips. And so we're going to take another action to, to tweak. And we've already seen you know, from questions that you, you were referencing, Brian, that there there are some ambiguities here that are going to be, they're going to have to be worked through, um, you know, and we'll see if they get worked through over the coming months.
0: I do think it's also just one last comment that Tim brought up before, which is the licensing policy res- regarding kind of lower level non-5G as a case by case. So I do think, and I do, and we are aware that there are plenty of companies out there who are kind of already Thinking about teeing up licensing requests if they think that they they would fall comfortably in that zone or or, or kind of outside the outside the scope of what is clearly the main focus here in terms of pre- preventing um, Huawei's ability to get these you know chips made uh, on the back of U.S. technology and software that uh, will aid their the you know the five G kind of project if you will so. not to say all is lost for those who are out there and interested in trying to continue to sell the Huawei. It is not, you know, again, they're not on the SDN list. They're not, um, you know, this is not and you know, look, given what happened with TikTok and WeChat, you know, I I wouldn't put it past and we have heard many rumors in the past that there could be an IEPA based action taken against Huawei to really try to wipe them out and, and sort of, um, you know, cut them off uh, from really the global economy in a much more comprehensive way. The administration has refrained from that thus far, but I think everybody knows that's kind of in the background that that could happen at some point. And so, um, that's, you know, nothing would surprise me at this point. So we'll, we'll have to pl- wait and see, but, uh, for now, um, we have a new set of, of rules for Huawei and, um, and I think Tim mentioned this also, uh, 38 additional affiliates added to the entity list. So I think that puts them up somewhere near about 150. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. Now that are on the list. So, um, you know, for screening purposes and otherwise, I know companies are kind of making sure they got their their, their lists updated, but, but that is, uh, I'm sure we'll see more kind of housekeeping in that regard as well in the future. So... Um, with that, let's let's put Huawei aside and let's move on to our, there our other favorite topic, our last sort of full topic on this episode, which is Hong Kong. And so on the last episode, we spent quite a bit of time focused on um, both the Hong Kong Autonomy Act passage and the related executive order that came out in mid-July. Um, just in early August, on August 7, we got the first set of designations pursuant to the new executive order. Um, which were targeted at a number of very high high profile individuals, essentially the head of state of Hong Kong, Carrie Lam, who was the chief executive of Hong Kong um, was the sort of lead headline person that was subject to these, um, these uh, designations. Uh, There were in total 11 Chinese and Hong Kong officials that were um, sort of blamed in the public uh, statements for, Facilitating compliance, Hong Kong's compliance with the Chinese National Security Law, and essentially, um, you know, allowing for the the current uh, deterioration in human rights and democratic principles in Hong Kong that have been the focus of all of the U.S. and other actions over the last couple months. So, um, you know, not surprisingly, in response to that, um, I think Carrie Lam was quoted, and others were quoted as saying, "Well." I don't have any property in the United States. I don't plan on owning any property in the United States. So block me all you want. I don't, I don't really care. This is totally uh, inconsequential for me personally. Um, you know, have at it US government and, and I'll laugh this off, shrug this off, which is not all that dissimilar to the way that other uh, governments and the China in particular have kind of responded to this. But my question to you, Tim, is sort of what what's the real impact of these initial actions Uh, And then, you know, what do we, again, we talked about this a bit in the past, but I I suspect, I think we both suspect strongly, this is just a, this is a dipping of the toe in the waters of what could be coming in terms of additional actions with respect to Hong Kong and sanctions. So, again, for for those out there that are kind of waiting to see, well, where's their, what's the tipping point? What's really something I have to worry about? Uh, You know, what is that going to look like? So I'll, I'll put that over to you.
1: Well, I mean, it was definitely a symbolic action, uh, and one that, as uh, Carrie Lam was quoted saying, she doesn't think is going to have any effect. I I am a little bit uh, less confident in that, uh, based on some of the early questions that we're getting, because I can tell you that um, banks in Hong Kong do not have a desire to engage in material support for an SDN. And so so they're a little bit worried about that. And so I, I suspect that when uh, when Ms. Lam starts to get questions from her banks about various transactions or starts to have banks uh, suggest that they unwind the relationship with her, that she will feel a little bit differently because as we know, but maybe she hasn't been listening to the podcast, she would know if she listened to the podcast, um, that the the sanctions have a little bit more application than just within the physical boundaries of the United States. And so, so particularly when it comes to banks, uh, these officials will feel some sting from it. Now, obviously, they're high, high enough up that the banks will probably want to be very diplomatic about it and very cautious about it. But as a practical matter, they're not going to be excited about putting um, an SDN into their, you know, into their their, their customer list. And, and because they realized that it could have implications beyond just, uh, you know, the US dollar transactions, if they are, they're providing banking services for SDNs. Now, again, that's third level enforcement, but I, I, Am already aware of some questions that are arising with respect to this, and so I I, I think it'll be broader than she's anticipating.
0: Yeah, I think that's right, and I think I mean, look, presumably because these are all high, uh, you know, government officials, they are going to be able to get, they're going to have access to banks that are based in China that are protected by the Chinese government that are not going to give a you know, what about this at the end of the day, or are going to sort of do the bidding of the Chinese government to continue to keep these people in, um, you know, able to transact and and sort of live their lives. But um, I think that is a great point. And I think um, the, you know, that also brings up a great point, which is sort of the delicate process that we see here. This, This issue, perhaps as much as any that is on the table right now, or that is, you know, that is in the news right now, it is, there are many that are very fearful of, well, if I back away from these things in Hong Kong, am I going to be targeted myself by the Chinese government, not just right. by the U.S. government? And so how do I sort of straddle those obligations? How do I not sort of alarm or um, run afoul of the Chinese government while still staying on the right side of U.S. sanctions? And and obviously we we see this, this tension is, kind of very prevalent in many of the US programs because we go it alone on some of these, on many of these, or we go much farther than anybody else does on some of these. And there's there's tensions with the EU, there's tensions with other governments about, but when it's the targeted government itself that essentially is right, you know, you're, is your next door neighbor um, and your overseer, it becomes even more complicated. So, yep. we, you know, and that I think as as the next tranche or next wave of designations come, which, you know, maybe it's just another batch of officials, but it's not going to be long before we see companies or banks or somebody that is going to be put on the SDN list under this executive order. That is going to make things a lot more complicated. That's going to be the
1: next wave. As soon as a bank gets designated for, you know, handling Carrie Lambs accounts, boy, I think all hell breaks loose.
0: Yeah. It may very well. It may very well. So that's, especially if that's a bank, well i mean i think that cuts both ways if it's a chinese based bank then that has one set of consequences that could be very uh interesting to watch play out and if it's a western bank that could also have another set of very interesting consequences to see how it plays out and and obviously in hong kong you have a, a very healthy mix of both so yep I, yeah i i don't know but i think um this is this is definitely an area where and we've have, we've have gotten a lot of and i'm sure others in the Again, in the sort of trade nerd community are getting these questions all the time, which is just just clients who are like, should I stay in Hong Kong? And we've 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 sort of we've touched on this before. And I think those questions are going to continue to persist, you know, kind of for the foreseeable future um as people feel this out and under and try to understand sort of how these tensions are gonna play out. And that is a difficult question that is not necessarily one that is rooted in just kind of assessing your sanctions risk or assessing, you know, it is a much more complicated risk uh calculation that has to be done there on many, many fronts. And so that is exactly the kind of thing that I think is with each subsequent kind of wave of sanctions, we're gonna see more and more um thought given to this and action taken or you know, and, and it's going to be a very uh, interesting, you know, kind of evolving picture over the next, you know, six months, year or plus.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really depends where the stomach is from the US side, because there's certainly going to be possible sanctions targets if they really want to ramp this up. And if they do ramp it up, I think that what you essentially will do is just cause companies to, Rethink whether Hong Kong is the right place to be, or whether they move their operations to Singapore, because I think that's already started, and it may just speed that along.
0: Yeah, and one thing we know this administration is not shy about is putting people on lists, right? Yeah. Whether it's whether it's the Entity List or the SDN List, uh, they're they're you know they have touted the fact often that there this has been the sort of most prolific administration in terms of just adding to the totals. Uh, of our respective, you know, kind of restricted party lists from the US government side and expect, and we're going to talk about that a bit more here in a moment in the lightning round and expect that to continue. So yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to see where it'll end and where we'll be next, but certainly keep, keep an eye on that, keep an eye on the future waves of designations that are coming. And, um, and I'm sure we will be back to Hong Kong again before too long. So uh, with that, I think that wraps up the main portion of, of the pod for today. And then, as I said at the outset, we have uh, now in the ground, uh, three topics to hit. Uh, and the first of those, I'll, I'll go to Tim on, on a very recent one that just came, was announced yesterday relating to the South China Sea.
1: Yes, in our continuing effort to be as current as possible in all of our discussions of what's happened with respect to U.S. regulators and their actions towards China, yesterday the Bureau of Industry and Security added 24 Chinese companies, along with another number of other uh, companies that for unrelated reasons, so it was a big order, but they they added 24 Chinese companies to the entity list um, for taking what they called actions contrary to U.S. foreign policy and U.S. national security interests in the South. China Sea. And and so the, you know, the South China Sea has been a a large subject of dispute with respect to Chinese territorial claims and the U.S. um, pushing back on those territorial claims, essentially trying to trying to limit China's definition of what are Chinese waters and one aspect of this uh, this kind of uh, ongoing dispute has been that the Chinese military has been building islands in the South China Sea so that essentially you know generally uh, a country's uh, control over the seas is limited to a certain amount number of nautical miles from the from the coast. But if you build an island and it becomes part of China, then that expands the territorial waters at the same time. And so the Chinese government has been doing that, using the Chinese military to do that. Uh, And yesterday's designation added 24, uh, Chinese companies to the entity list who were working with the Chinese military to build these islands. One aspect of that designation that I found kind of interesting is that it was limited and, and really focused on the fact that there had been an international determination that uh, that that the the building of these islands violated uh, international law because the Philippines it, it, it infringed on the Philippines' interest in this same territory. I only found that kind of interesting because uh, I had not realized that the current administration was so concerned about enforcing international law that it is now going to be putting um, foreign companies onto the entity list if they take actions inconsistent with international tribunal judgments. But apparently, you know, there's an internationalist streak within the Trump administration.
0: I, and s- they- I sense I sense a, a streak of sarcasm in your <laughs> comments there, Tim. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. it is, it is,
1: there. It, it, it look, this, this has been a, this has been an um, ongoing and predating the, the Trump administration uh, in, in foreign policy interest in terms of the South China Sea, but I just found that rationale a little bit, um, a little bit amusing.
0: Yeah, uh, no, so uh, not too much more to add to that. I think I think it's mostly noteworthy because now we're kind of opening up a new vista of action that the U.S. is willing to take uh, with respect to China you know, kind of on the sanctions uh, entity yep. list front. And, you know, so add that to uh, human rights in you know, connection to uh, Xinjiang and the Uyghurs, which we're going to talk about in a minute, Hong Kong, and now South China Sea. Previously, this had mostly been kind of a diplomatic war of words and and trying to conduct military exercises in the region to sort of, um, you know, mark mark the territory, so to speak on behalf of our allies in the region. And um, you know, Secretary of State uh, Pompeo made some comments and uh, I think an official statement over a couple, not that long ago, just last month, I believe, um, basically aligning with the judgment out of The Hague that Tim was referencing about the sovereignty of the Philippines with respect to these territorial waters. And so there was a little bit of maybe previewing there that there was more coming, but I, I think adding, you know, two dozen Chinese entities to the entity list when, even by, I believe, commerce's own account, that they don't have knowledge that they're procuring many controlled items from the United States, um, is kind of interesting, um, as to why that's the tact, uh, perhaps they didn't feel like there was a, uh, a sanctions authority that lined up well to allow them to, to take this action. There doesn't, there usually seems to be something that can be found to justify, um, uh, justify it on the sanctions front if they so choose, but but they went with the entity list, and so there's now you know these two dozen additional companies that are uh, again that are kind of in the mix that U.S. Uh, interests and and those abroad who are maybe re-exporting um, uh, U.S. controlled technology to any of these uh, companies are going to have to worry about. So um, so yeah, I think just we'll leave it there. We'll we'll see. I, I suspect that there's going to be. Uh, more action relating to the South China Sea in the coming months if this is because this is kind of breaking the seal on that uh, again as a new kind of frontier for U.S. enforcement action so uh, and again no no shortage of uh, willingness to put more people on lists and put more company on, on lists so we'll, we'll we'll keep our eyes out there. Um, so item number two for the lightning round is in a similar vein and this was actually this is now a little older this this occurred right after we put up our, our most recent episode. So we, we missed out on it, but it was the actions on July 31st um, that were taken under the global Magnitsky act to sanction um, the uh, a couple of individuals and the Chinese entity uh, XPCC, the um, Xinjiang production and construction corporate corp um, onto the SDN list. And Um, And that is significant, and mostly the reason that we wanted to talk about it today was, um, so XPCC, as it is known, is described as a sort of paramilitary quasi-governmental organization that kind of administers many different facets of um, life, frankly, in the Xinjiang province. And so, um, and as, as has been reported, they apparently have hundreds of thousands of subsidiary entities. So this has become, not surprisingly, and and we know this from multiple clients who have, are wrestling with this right now, who have operations in China, this has become kind of a screening and due diligence nightmare to try to manage, how do you identify uh, the 50% or more owned subs of XPCC? um, Because it is, they, their, their holdings are so extensive. And, um, and so this is, this is really, I think the main reason that I wanted to bring this up. And, uh, you know, I, I'm aware that there are many of the kind of, you know, screening platforms and services that are kind of trying to you know, ramp up and refresh and supplement their current offerings and their current kind of uh, lists to accommodate this. But at the end of the day, with that many entities potentially in play, and and presumably not all of them are going to be caught by the 50% rule, but some of them certainly are. Um, you know, how do how do how do you manage that if that's if that's of a concern to you, and if if you you have some exposure to to that either that region or Um, or that entity. So that is kind of an interesting question. There is a general license that was issued simultaneous with the listings that allowed for winding down or divestiture with respect to not XPCC itself, but subs that are caught by virtue of the 50% rule. So um, there is obviously a lot of activity, I think, ongoing right now to try to um, clean things up for many entities that might have those concerns um that gl is is uh at least effective through the end of september so there's a little more than a month on the clock for that Um, but uh yeah this is this just wanted to bring this up because this is definitely one that a lot of people are wrestling with at the moment and if you're not wrestling with it then uh and you have any sort of dealings in that part of the world that part of China, it's certainly one that you probably should be thinking about uh, if you're a U.S. company or even if you're not a U.S. company, because again, um, you know, worrying about whether it's material assistance or other um, considerations that might uh, get you in the hot water on the sanctions front, or I think, and with all of the publicity around Xinjiang and, and the cautionary warnings that have been issued by the U.S. about companies thinking twice about doing business in the region, I think this just sort of, Amplifies that to a to a, a, a greater degree.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have much to add to that except to just kind of emphasize the context that you mentioned, Brian. If for a company that was doing business in China five years ago, the the real concern was that their products might get diverted to military end uses, and so that was really what you had to worry about in China and potentially diversion to Iran. But but even then, that was kind of a Something that was just becoming uh, just becoming relevant now I mean you have to worry about North Korea implicating your supply chain. you have to worry about the fact that now, a lot of high-level officials, if you're doing business in Hong Kong, are now on the SDN list, and there's all sorts of other measures that are being taken with respect to Hong Kong. You've got to worry about Xinjiang province and implicating your supply chain, and is the subject of a, of a, a supply chain advisory that is rather extensive in terms of what you what what you ought to be on the lookout for in Xinjiang province. You've got to worry about the South China Sea, and if you've got you've got uh, you know. It doesn't sound like there's a lot of interaction with, with those companies yet, but it, if they broaden it, who knows? I mean, there's just so many more things that you have to be concerned about when doing business in China now than there were five years ago. And this is one of them, and it's one that's pretty big. But I, I just think that China has become a much more complex place to do business in the last five years, largely because of all the things that we talk about in the pod.
0: Yeah. Agree with that. And so with that, let's pivot to the last topic, which is not strictly speaking a China topic. It is broader than that, but it is uh, given that ECRA and many of the reforms from the Export Control Reform Act of 2018 were largely motivated by concerns about China. I think we'll we'll claim credit and call this an all China pod. Uh, and so now with that, I'll, let me turn to Tim to just say a few words about the Advanced Notice of Proposed Rulemaking on foundational technologies and sort of the one we've been waiting for for a long time. And whether this lives up to our expectations.
1: Right. So, so as you mentioned, Brian, section 1758 of the export control reform act of 2018. I mean, it's now what
0: nearly the it's end over of two, yeah, over two years since it was passed and enacted re- yeah.
1: required the commerce department to establish controls on export, re-export trans uh, or, or transfer of emerging technologies, but also foundational technologies. And, um, so since then, we've been waiting for the Commerce Department to at least start the process of doing that. And today, it's formally going to come out. But yesterday, um, it was announced that they were the, the Commerce Department was instituting an advance notice of proposed rulemaking, an ANPRM, um, that was going to start the process. Essentially, they're just inviting comments to uh, to to um, so that they can define foundational technologies. These are technologies that the Commerce Department has said are essential to the national security and may warrant stricter controls. Um, and, and, and so they're seeking public comment on this issue. They did identify a few of the issues that Congress is gonna require them to take into account. So you know whether or not the, these technologies are also developed in foreign com- countries, uh, whether they, uh, the export controls would, uh, have an effect on the development of technologies and how effective export can, controls can be on this. But I think what they're really looking at, and you mentioned, you know, that China is a, is a driver for this. BIS mentioned in the, um, advance notice that, uh, that one of the concerns that they have is that these that there are foundational technologies that because they're not currently the subject of sufficient controls are getting into the hands of the Chinese and Russian and Venezuelan militaries and so essentially That is one of the things that they're going to be looking at in terms of the comments, but I think that it is going to go a little bit more broad than that. But at least the process is now starting to be underway, and for the next sixty days, anyone that is interested in helping to define um, these sorts of foundational technologies should uh, get in touch with the the Commerce Department.
0: Yeah, I just just a couple of quick words. I mean, I think, and look, I I don't mean this to be. I am just to be full, fully clear. I do not mean this to be critical of our friends of the Commerce Department. But the fact that it was, you know, the first advance notice relating to emerging technologies came out just a few months after the uh, the ECRA was passed. Uh, and there has been no further formal action on that other than the comments that were received, which were apparently abundant from what has been reported. But that notice laid out a number of categories and a number of technologies that were already sort of squarely in view to potentially be subjective for the regulation. This is really, really starting from scratch. There is, nothing, there is nothing here other than a few notions that we might want to take a look at items that are currently controlled for anti-terrorism reasons, items that are currently EAR-99, items that might be used for sort of civil military integration efforts in the countries that Tim mentioned, China, Russia, Venezuela. Um, and it and the, the and there are in fact and I and I won't read all of these but there are eight questions posed at the end of the notice that are sort of we're inv- we're welcoming comments on how to further define foundational technology to assist in identification of such items sources to identify such items yep. criteria to determine whether controlled items identified at the AT and ER ninety nine categories um, should be uh, should be considered especially to countries subject to arms embargoes. Um, the status of developmental or foundational technologies in the US and other countries. It is it is very, very broad, and it <laughs> is really just starting from scratch. And so, the, I mean, I cannot imagine we're gonna see regs on any of this stuff for at least another couple of years. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're already two years into this and now. It took you
1: two years to come up with something right. that said, please give us comments on what a foundational technology is yeah, and, and here's what start. Congress
0: told you to consider.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, it's yeah. it's so, a pile of nothing.
0: So again, uh, no disrespect meant to our friends at the Commerce Department at all. But I think just from a just looking at this from a pragmatic, practical standpoint, like what does this all really mean? you know, a couple things. One is they're, they're just, they're really literally just starting from scratch. Number two, if you are, are at all interested in influencing that process, you have a great opportunity to do that. And there are plenty of companies and, and trade associations and other groups out there that have high, high interest in doing that. So now's your chance. You have 60 yeah. days and, you know, thinking about putting together a comment, weighing in on things that are particularly uh, relevant to you and your business it's all there for you it's 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 it is all there for you to to be put it to put it out there and to influence this process so that is i think the good news perhaps is that U- us companies and others uh, are going to have the ability to really weigh in and shape this thing because it is not shaped at all at this point really without with the exception of a couple of these broad notions so Um, I think we'll leave it there. We'll obviously come back to this at some point in the future, but I think because this is hot off the presses and and we've been waiting so long for this, we felt like we wanted to at least you know, flag it so that everybody's aware this is out there and to to take a look uh, when the the final, uh, the actual rule gets published in the federal register today. Yeah, the good
1: news on this is that it's not like Commerce Department seems to have its mind made up, as it often does when it's soliciting comments. Here, it's like, if you really want to influence the process, boy, I'm sure they'd welcome the help because they've got to, obviously got a ton of things on their plate and have not thought about this issue. Yeah. And in fair, I mean,
0: I'm sure they've thought about it plenty, but I don't think they're ready to kind of put markers down as to where, you know, how, where they're going to draw lines here and what's going to be covered and what's not, what, what they, whether they would create new categories. And they are very clear about that. And so that's perhaps to their credit that they're willing to be open-minded and to sort of, you know, take a fresh look at this and and develop this, because this is in fairness an incredibly broad mandate to come up with whatever is going to be covered under foundational technologies and whatever should be controlled here. So, um, so again, I, I, I just, uh, we wanted to flag that as a sort of final point and leave it there for now. Again, I'm sure we will be coming back to this in the future, but for now we'll, we'll, we'll end there. So, uh, with that, I think we're, we're done for today. Lucky, lucky number 13 is in the books. Um, and uh, before we wrap, any and and I do think, in all seriousness, we, we are contemplating a non-China episode the next time around if we can manage that.
1: We're gonna do um,
0: it, or maybe at least just only China in the lightning round. Maybe we can manage that. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that happened this past month that we didn't even touch on that we won't we won't get into here. So um, for anybody who's really dying for more on uh, you know enforcement actions or other actions being taken with respect to many of the other parts of the world or issues that we've hit on in the past, you know, hold your, hold your powder on that. We'll, we'll get to it, I promise. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll certainly think about a non-China episode in the future. But for now, uh, I think that's all we have for for this time. Any, any final thoughts, Tim, before we, before we wrap?
1: No, it's been a a busy time off. I'm glad that, I hope Commerce and, and uh, OFAC get away for the summer at some point our friends over there they need a break too so they
0: they do indeed they do indeed so with that thank you all for tuning in again if you're um if you like the pod please subscribe you can find us wherever you get your pods uh apple stitcher spotify google youtube please give us a rating hopefully a five-star rating and uh this will be up again september 1 And hopefully, uh, I think uh, pretty likely we're back on our every two-week schedule from here on out um, now that summer is basically over. And uh, thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, uh, stay safe and stay sanctions-free.
1: Stay sanctions-free, everyone. And thanks for listening.
0: Thanks, everyone. Bye.